News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC. I'm Harry Siegel in Brooklyn, here with Professor Christina Greer, teaching in Manhattan. Hello. Hello there. And Alex Brooklyn in Manhattan. Hey, Alex. Hey, hey. So there's lots to uh, talk about this week. I say we split this up into city and state. Maybe we start with New York City, uh, where Mayor Eric Adams is keeping a promise to himself, he says, and going away, although not where he uh, necessarily had been intending to go to, according to reports, for for one last trip before he becomes mayor, mayor elect Eric Adams. Uh, Chrissy, what is uh, what is happening with this fella? Where's he off to? What's going on? (laughs) Put it on me. Listen, as I've said before, I'm excited for an Adams administration just because I think that there's lots to be excited about. We're going to have some complicated questions about policing and schools and race and boroughs. And then I get nervous because we have someone who I think is already leaning on the line of legality. I think he's already doing his own thing. And the relationship with the press is going to be one that's fascinating and frustrating Because I do believe that our mayor-elect is in the motherland right now, in Ghana, because he said he was going, then he said he wasn't going, and then all of a sudden he's on a plane and nobody knew that he was on the plane. So if this is what we're in for, it's just going to be exhausting. And I think we talked about this before, where is it going to be, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts where we're constantly running after the truth? with Eric Adams. Now, he's totally allowed to take a vacation. I mean, I think, you know, I believe in de Blasio taking naps. I believe in elected officials taking vacations, sharpen the sword, you know, rest up. But just be honest, be on the up and up. And it's like, I'm leaving for a few days. I know Omicron's coming. We might be on lockdown again. I want to just, you know, get some sunshine and be with some Black folks before I'm mayor of New York. Sure, say that. But don't sort of sneak away and then have the press essentially curious, are you in Jersey? Are you in Brooklyn? Are you at your office? Are you on the continent of Africa, on the West Coast in Ghana? That to me is just, that's the slippery, frustrating piece. Yeah. And and from reporting, which I believe because it was in the New York Post, and let me explain that. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I don't get down with the Post, but I've I, I got my issues with the Post. Eric Adams has a uh, love affair going with the Post. They endorsed mm-hmm. him in the Democratic primary and the general. Um, and it, they become a go-to paper for him uh, and a, a source of coming news. So from the Post report, Which I think says a lot already. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It does. Uh, it, it, the Post reporting was that Eric Adams was was going to Europe for vacation. We found out a couple days before he was due to be off. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this became, uh, I'm going to Ghana. All this... <laughs> along with the news about the uh, variant and those concerns. And, but not just he's going to Ghana, but he's going to Ghana because it was a promise he'd made himself uh, to get back to the motherland before, uh, uh, well, he can. So I thought he'd be going to Israel because you remember he said that was his motherland. Man, sir, good day. What's going on? There, there, there is a, there's a certain narrative slipperiness there. And related to that, one of the 
folks who's been advising him. We knew that um, uh, on policing issues and a former top member of the NYPD, who he's now considering to be as a deputy mayor for public safety, be above the NYPD police commissioner is uh, Philip Banks, who, who's a uh, smart, interesting guy who been in the, the uh, police department for a long time. Adams had actually served under him. They have history who retired last year when he was tied to multiple different people who uh, bribed the de Blasio administration. Mm-hmm. I won't, I won't bore you with the full list, but this includes uh, Rick Nixon, Reitberg, these two, uh, these two guys who among other things, uh, booked a flight who gave lots of money to de Blasio in exchange for influence. And one of them was burning up his phone all the time, his private cell, um, uh, booked a flight to the uh, Super Bowl with a, uh, with a prostitute on board and so on. And Banks was on that flight. So Adam says, which is very de Blasian, um, how long is someone supposed to be sidelined for who's never been uh, convicted in a court of law? And, and Banks certainly has not been. Um, he had, was, however, you know, someone who thought he could be the next commissioner, thought he might run for mayor for himself, who, who, who retired and retired abruptly as, as his ties with all of these would-be power players with money who were bribing and in some cases have been convicted of bribing the previous mayor um, and flew, by the way, on a lot of private flights with all these folks. You know, is that I, I'm not saying he doesn't know anything about public safety. I am curious if that's the only person or one of the only people you think can fill that role or what's up. If this is a case of dancing with them that brung you and, and somebody you have a right. long time relationship with, and you're putting his name out there and you go with someone else, I can understand that in some ways, but it's another distressing sign about mm-hmm. the, uh, uh, the company he keeps and like where those values and lines are. And, and also with where he's going to be different from and the same as the de Blasio administration, mm-hmm. the tonal is going to be different. That, that, that his willingness to, to nod to the center is going to be very different um uh openly uh and in his rhetoric but the i'm gonna play around with the uh power players such as they were right and bribers you know and and literally the same ones uh i it seems like like that that is not a, a good sign for where we're headed no right and as you know my grandmother would use the word hoodlums <laughs> it's like is he rolling with hoodlums so i think we have to look at it a few ways is Banks a trial balloon, right? Do we float his name out there to see if folks are apoplectic or agnostic? And maybe that's just like, let me get a little litmus test as to whether or not people think that, you know, some of these unsavory characters from the de Blasio and Bloomberg administrations should go out to pasture or if they can sort of circle back and nobody really cares about an airplane and some, you know, ladies of the night. Um or is it that Eric Adams is loyal uh, and will always dance with the people who brought him and we can count on there being some qualified individuals and some super shady characters in this administration and it's going to be a hologram of truth and not truth on a daily basis, minute by minute. We also just have to remember that Philip Banks, my, my Philip Banks story is being at a Columbia event and standing up and asking a question about stop and frisk and what the NYPD was going to do for marginalized communities who were afraid of not just the robbers, but the cops as well, right? Uh, And what did he think of that? And he essentially told me that uh, 
<laughs> stop and frisk was a figment of my imagination and that none of these communities, you know, feared the cops. I was like, sir, you were really saying these words in English out loud in a room full of people. And he just doubled down and, you know, gave a story of, you know, some young boy who was stopped and frisked for truancy, but, you know, and luckily he was stopped and frisked because unbeknownst to his parents, he was a drug addict and a drug dealer simultaneously. He was 14. And it was just like whopper on top of whopper. And so my level of respect for Philip Banks is on the floor, not even. And is this who you're leading with, Eric Adams? Like, I want, I am rooting for Eric Adams. I love this city a lot. I love Black people a lot. So, for a host of reasons, I want Eric Adams to succeed. But there are some real, and I'm excited. You're, you know, I've said so on this podcast several times. I think that there's some real opportunities for New York, but there are some serious yellow flags on the play thus far. And if we're talking about characters like Philip Banks, even as a trial balloon, I think we need to find someone who's legit, who can pull Eric Adams' coattail for a second, big bruh. Don't start off this way. Like, don't. Don't invite this kind of heat and ire and scrutiny to your administration on January 1st at, you know, 1.15 p.m. Staying with drugs for a minute in the city, uh, Mayor de Blasio, still mayor for another month, uh, and will surely be running for governor starting at right about the same moment. Uh, is suddenly busy doing doing lots of things and trying to do other things like uh, ban the carriage horses, which has been <laughs> <laughs> the, the overarching non-story in some ways of the last eight years. Um, I mean, of but, all uh, the things in the middle of a global pandemic that he did and did not accomplish, but of all the things that are still on his bucket list as mayor, mm-hmm. the last like month. It's, let me let me figure out something that was a campaign promise eight years ago. Okay. He also he also opened up though two injection sites in uh, Washington Heights um, and in East Harlem this week, which is really interesting for a number of reasons. And I I, I think and uh, Alex, I, I really want to get your thoughts here. Is uh, probably on the whole a really good thing. However, it's also not a not a legal thing by federal law, which which uh, specifically prohibits using any sort of uh, uh, facilities or, or real estate uh, for the purposes of people using drugs. Um, and this has come up recently in Philly. So using it's, it's a non-prescribed, using mm-hmm. non-prescribed mm-hmm. drugs, because yeah. like technically in rehabs and stuff, they do like meter out methadone, all that mm-hmm. opiates, et cetera. So, so. We have two of them open now. Uh, they're clearly going to be legal challenges. Uh, uh, Meliotakis. Uh, Jesus. Oh, Lord. Meliotakis is like, blah, 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 something, something, something. She, she's asked the uh, the feds to intervene. And as like a boring, dull question of law, obviously, Merrick Garland can make his own priorities. Like, this isn't allowed right now. Uh, we haven't really registered how people in the neighborhoods feel about these places yet. Uh, the post is already reporting, you know, in that posty way. And of course, this is why you open these uh, supervised injection sites that people have overdosed there. Uh, but but it's, it's an interesting last minute development. Uh, Alex, what do you think of uh, all this? So 
during I mean during the pandemic we see a huge uptick in overdoses. I think there it's for obvious reasons, um, not just with the houseless, but also uh, with people being lonely. We saw an uptick in drinking. There's going to be an uptick in opioid use, and obviously over the last 15 years we see that opioids did not just affect houseless people, did not just affect mentally ill people and did not just affect people on the fringes of society. It affected people, working people, stay-at-home moms, kids doing soccer, et cetera, et cetera. And so we've created so many opioid-dependent people. Another factor that has come into play is the amount of fentanyl found in other drugs, the amount of fentanyl in ketamine, cocaine. You know, you get these huge Instagram campaigns where socially responsible casual drug users, if there's such a thing, like casual hard drug users, which for some hard drugs, there is such a thing for some, there isn't, will put out Instagram posts about, okay, two people just went to the hospital because of fentanyl in there, like Coke at this bar and this bar in Bushwick or in whatever. My question is, so how effective are these sites at stopping overdoses? There's been 600 so far or around 600 so far this year are the people there really like trained and standing there with Narcan? Um, have there have they've actually been able to circumvent any fatalities? I question the choice of location, Harlem and Washington Heights. Like, first of all, it's not these are not the epicenters of your stereotypical standing on the feet, kind of like nodding out drug addict. I mean, that's everywhere in the city. That's everywhere. So I'm like questioning why it's not on the Lower East Side, why it's being kept to traditionally black and brown neighborhoods and not in the places where, I mean, it's everywhere. It's Times Square. I mean, I would say that 34th Street and 8th Avenue is like a huge, huge place that we could use an injection site. Speaking to the legality of it, I mean, we're stuck back in the rock in the hard place and the kind of conservative quagmire that's been created on the moderate liberal front and on the on the right, which is basically like you don't want to create hotels or any kind of luxury for drug addicts because they're still operating on an idea that this is a moral failing somehow. And you don't want to so you don't want to but you don't also want them on the street because that's driving your house prices down. So what do you do? It's really only leaving the option of jail or prison. Alex, I have a question. And, yeah. and Harry, I don't know if your research um, dabbles into this as well. I Going back to the location, I thought the locations were curious largely because they're borderline within walking distance of one another. And so with, if we have five boroughs and we know that Staten Island has been hit with an opioid crisis. We know that pockets in Brooklyn and Queens and the Bronx especially have been hit. Why would we put two, I would argue, so close together in the grand scheme of a five borough conversation? And is it only because you can put it in those neighborhoods and not worry about sort of pushback from mobilized uh, either homeowners or renters? Like you could basically do this to the colored people and get away with it as opposed to neighborhoods that might need it a lot more, but um, they, whoever decides where the placement would be would, would sort of have to deal with neighborhood organizations uh, rejecting these injection sites. I mean, Hell's Kitchen or around Port Authority would be a perfect place for an injection site. But that's also um, high-end real estate. It's also high-end real estate, but 
But I, what I don't understand is why it's not that these places I don't think are going to attract addicts, Mm -hmm. addicts and people suffering under this like kind of debilitating condition are already there. And it does intersect with the houseless and it does intersect with the mentally ill, but they're not obviously mutually exclusive, but they're there. So why not put a place where it can contribute to the quality of life of not only the residents, but also the people struggling with this. And who made the call as to where it went or where these two location sites? I feel like this was a part. I don't know exactly who made that call, but it was a partnership with two nonprofits, one of which is a Harlem based nonprofit. Gotcha. Okay. So one of the concerns I've seen is that, actually not about the uh, sites attracting drug users, but about attracting uh, uh, sellers, uh, criminals who want to prey on drug users and like uh, creating other disruptive activities in these residential neighborhoods. Um, I mean, they're already there. And that this was the same, this was a, a similar criticism levied against uh, NA meetings. It's still levied against NA meetings in certain counties and across mm. the country. Not that there's a divide between AA and NA. That's like a whole complicated thing that we could do in a whole episode on. But like, basically, this was the same criticism levied against any kind of treatment center. Couldn't you just do a letter like J.A. in the middle? (laughs) I mean, obviously, there should be some strategy, right? Like the amount of sober houses there are in, say, Elmhurst, Queens or in Staten Island and Staten Island. That makes sense because you have a lot of kids with families with means uh, who are addicted to opiates. So they have rehab sober houses and a lot more, you know, it's more residential. It's more suburban. But like in other places, where you have sober houses, people just getting out of rehab, you might not want a safe shooting gallery right next to those sober houses that could cause an issue. I definitely think there should be some sort of geographical strategy. Um, but, but this is not it. Like two of your test inject. What's weird is that the test, um, thrive program where they were only sending social workers instead of cops to respond to calls for the uh, mental people suffering from acute symptoms of mental illness also was in Harlem. So I'm just wondering what this like Harlem as a testing ground, Harlem, Washington Heights as like a testing ground. Is this the 1960s? I mean, it just seems, it just, it seems not enough. Well, and, here's, and, I mean, is this a cynical question? Like with Thrive doing certain things in Harlem, was that part of a strategy where Sherlane didn't want anything in Brooklyn just in case it didn't work out? She <laughs> couldn't, you know, when she was thinking about running for an office, like, is it sort of keep it out of Brooklyn in case it's a disaster and no one can pin it on me? I mean, it's definitely keep it out of Manhattan, right? You don't want people like keep it out of mid midtown Manhattan, mm-hmm. but that's kind of where it's needed. That's where our tourism dollars are going to go. That's where... Um, you know, people from the the other four boroughs are going to come into conglomerate, especially for the holidays. I mean, it's needed in Midtown Manhattan as well as probably Harlem and the Lower East Side and Brooklyn and all these places. But I'm just curious as to why they're pushing it into the place in Manhattan that is, mm-hmm. let's say, not visited as much unless you have an interest in like jazz or architecture. I mean, listen, all the jazz clubs are closed. So I don't know what that That's is. True. I mean. Like, unless you're going to visit Abyssinian or FCBC, 
as a tourist. I mean, like, right. you know, as we've talked about on the podcast, I mean, the political center is in Brooklyn now. And it's like, thank God for Alvin Bragg and Brian Benjamin, because if not, Harlem politics would be all but dead. So I want to get Speaking back to Speaking of which, Brian transition. Benjamin. You like that transition, don't you, Harry? <laughs> just one sec. Brian Benjamin, what's up? Um, he's had some some issues with his disclosures, uh, with his donors getting prosecuted for donating to him. And this is always the fun game, right? The bribers I was just talking about with the Blasio, they pled guilty and were found guilty of bribing the mayor. But the mayor wasn't even prosecuted for accepting their bribes uh, and shout out to the Supreme Court for making it so impossibly hard to do that. But the feds are looking at Brian Benjamin right now. He did not accurately fill out his disclosure forms for Kathy Hochul, who must be not pleased about this. Uh, she suddenly has competition, not just from Brooklyn and uh, uh, and and her left coming up from uh tish james and jumani williams but tom swazi uh running or trying to run to her right which i think changes some of those mm -hmm. dynamics of that race and there's not much time there because look it's it's december 1st and about june 20th uh we're gonna have a primary that's probably gonna be the whole shebang mm -hmm. well i mean i think the primary is june 28th i believe it's that tuesday um, so time is of the essence. I mean, we're basically in 2022 right now. First of all, Tom Swazi, I know he was one of our first podcast guests. However, who asked you to run, right? Who, who's checking for Tom Swazi? And if I were Kathy Hochul, I would be apoplectic because she was thinking, okay, let me just clean up this Long Island. Let me get all these moderates and, you know, quasi conservative Democrats in upstate and get my little quiet PBA endorsement and keep it pushing and have my, you know, black Lieutenant governor. And Did she get kinda, endorsed by the PBA. Yeah. That was the whole big thing that Tish brought up. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so it's like, and they endorsed Trump. So it's like, you know, she could sort of, she was trying to straddle a few things. Tom Swazi running to her right messes that plan up. I mean, the same way that I'm sure, you know, all the pundits say, you know, Tish James obviously would not be terribly excited to have Jumani and Bill de Blasio siphoning off, you know, a few votes here and there on her left. Kathy Hochul can't be excited about having Tom Swazi siphon off votes on her right. I also think the gender dynamics cannot be ignored, where when men see qualified women running for office, they just have to throw their hat in the ring. This reminds me of the Chicago, you know, who sent you? Nobody sent me. Tom Swazi. <laughs> it's like, well, I don't want nobody who nobody sent. Ain't nobody sent for Tom Swazi. And I think Eric Adams was trying to throw Kathy Hochul a bone by saying, Tom, come over here, kick it in New York City politics and let Kathy be Kathy. But he won't that, listen. That's some real pecking order stuff because yes. Tom and Eric are friends. Yes. As politicians go, real friends, they, they, they have some history and some loyalty. So, so when, when Eric Adams says, hey, I, I, I'm thinking about Tom as deputy mayor, I'm like, wow, those two must have talked behind the scenes. But with Tom declining and running for governor, clearly what occurred is Eric is like, Tom, you're my friend, but Kathy is the governor of New York State with money and power and things <laughs> I'm going to need in the next year. And she does not want you to run. And consequently, I'm going to publicly raise my hand about you publicly. and see if I can get you and your endangered congressional seat asked. To just come over into my administration right. to take this problem off of my 
not friend, but now a necessary political ally for the moment, Kathy Hochul's uh, uh, trouble list. And that did not happen. No, but I mean, but this is, but this is why low key, I love Eric Adams because (laughs) he's kind of messy in all the great ways that I love sometimes where it's like, normally this would have been one of those like de Blasio back deal, you know, conversations that the the press kind of knows about and you all have to write about it indirectly based on quiet sources. Eric Adams is like, Hey, I'm going to have a press conference. Tom, (laughs) come on, bud. Like you're probably not going to win unless people just need to have, you know, white men at the top of the ticket, but it's like, you're probably not going to win. Nobody's really that interested in you. You haven't really, so you don't really have that much name recognition outside of Long Island. Yes, you ran against Spitzer a thousand years ago, but you lost and lost pretty terribly. So here we are, right? I don't really know what your relationships are with people of color. It seems like the Adams offer was pretty good. It seemed like a sweet deal. Unless, unless he's like, I don't want to go to prison. Um, I don't know. Like, maybe y'all, he's like, y'all. this is messy. I want to hear from Long Islanders and others about this because this guy has been county executive in Nassau County. He's a sitting member of Congress, right? Being being mayor is real cool. Like being deputy mayor is like you're somebody. You're you're a boss and a flunky simultaneously. Mm, mm. But he was offering him like the good deputy mayor job, wasn't he? it, It appeared. It appeared. Yeah. Yeah. Like one that had some teeth to it. But then again, it's like, but here's the question. Do you want to work or do you want to just be an elected office with a lot of power? Because the the offer that Eric Adams seemed to have on the table was you'll have a lot of behind the scenes power. You're going to work your ass off. But like people won't really know you. You won't be on the front page of the paper. You won't be in the paper because you'll be doing your job. And if you're doing it correctly, nobody will actually know who you are because that's the role that I'm offering. And I don't think he wanted to take it. I think he wanted he wanted the one that de Blasio and folks want, which is the the powerful front and center governor's job. Now, they all want that Emmy. They want that Emmy. Oh, goodness. Um, so wait, Alex, you said I always talk about men running when they don't need to run. I just it's it's an epidemic. It's it's like it's a pathological problem that we have where a lot of these men wake up in the morning, they look in the mirror and say, I am wholly not qualified. And there is someone who is qualified doing the job. I'm going to run. And I just, it makes me want to have a nosebleed because so many people in the race and it's a democracy. I get it. We should have folks, if you want to run and do public service, thank you. I, I appreciate your service. But I think so having so many people in the race distracts from the time that we can actually spend to get to the nitty gritty. So like at the end of the day, if it's going to be between Kathy and Tish, I'd much rather spend some time to really nail them down on what they believe in and where they want to take this state, as opposed to having to give this dude some extra minutes every debate or in the press. And it's like, the odds of you are slim to none and slim just went out for a pack of smokes. So why are we wasting our time on you? I mean, I think we saw a lot of that that stuff happened with the mayor, Democratic mayor primary. Yeah. Yes. Primary. Yes. My, my, my argument for Swazi running is that that Hochul is very accidentally sort of in the center and more in the center as the leading white and non-New York City candidate in this race. Mm-hmm. And she's really ill-defined in terms of what her priorities are actually going to be. And having somebody run in some ways to her right in the context of a Democratic primary forces, forces her to... Her to, to, to credibly make some of those decisions as opposed mm-hmm. to just I'm, I'm a tap like a, 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 a black guy from New York to join my ticket and hope he doesn't lie on his disclosure forms. Oops. 
Um, but 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 you know, in the, in the most basic way, say, say I'm going to nod toward New York in these ways, and I'm going to nod toward the left in these ways, and then we all just get to find out if she wins in 2023, right. what's really up when she has right. power and some time, uh, because those two things go I together. I think that's a really good point, Harry. Because also, it's like Kathy Hochul also hasn't really had to answer for some of her past statements, policies, and votes. You know, I mean, she was borderline anti-immigrant before. Mm -hmm. I understand people change and they evolve and times change. But, you know, as we have, say, you know, non-citizen voting in municipal elections on on the the docket, like it would be nice to know what the governor thinks about these things. Uh, And if she would expand this throughout New York State and New York State is purple, like hardcore purple. And I would say with undertones of red. So it is important for us to to know a lot more about her because we actually don't know much about her. She's been around, but we don't really know her. Speaking of, uh, of immigration, unknown things. I'm Swazi, many other things. There, there's been a big fight in New York about, uh, about driver's licenses for undocumented immigrants, about voting rights uh, uh, for undocumented immigrants, all these questions going back now. Over decades, we seem to have made some progress. A lot of that progress went out the window when Trump was elected. And there were prior to that, there was a, hey, you know, the city introduced these excellent municipal ideas. Uh, we, I think everyone here has and are a very good thing. But there was this question, what happens if, like, you know, a real scary Republican takes control in Washington? We have this database that doubles as half the people on this list uh, are undocumented immigrants or two-thirds. And the reason we all had them in part is... Um, it's healthy to have people who are, don't just need the idea to have them so that the people have them. It's not a, a get your list. And also to further incentivize that, they come with like museum discounts and whatnot. Um, however, all of this brings me back to these injection sites, which again are illegal under federal law. I'm not, I'm not hooray that federal law. I don't know the history of the law to be perfectly honest, but it does concern me that if, De Blasio puts these in. Eric Adams he, uh, keeps them. Uh, they withstand some early court challenges, right? The, 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 we get a couple of years down the road, and Merrick Garland can squint and choose to see no uh, no evil, or rather, no violation of the law. And then this all can get pushed away. And the, 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 this is, a, in its own way, a complicated, quote-unquote, sanctuary city play, uh, or, or play where, where, where you have a big space between federal law and local practices that, that, that can get taken away or pushed back on very quickly. And so if people do come to use these and depend on them and they, they prove their value, and this is very new in America, uh, they can very easily be knocked out in a couple of years. And, and I was curious to just get your, your thoughts on that. I was going through my head as we were talking. I mean, there's, See, a, couple, making faces, as I'm there's a couple of ways to kind of get around it. Now, I know that this isn't the same, but I weirdly find it parallel when I was a teenager and they were having the big debate about plan B. Planned Parenthood would cover, carry it and then not carry it. And I remember one time going to a place needing a morning after pill and then being like, 
we can't give it to you. And they were like, you know what? Just take it. And it wasn't Planned Parenthood, but it was just, so it was just, it was this constant. It is legal. It isn't legal. Now it's legal in pharmacies, but you have Mm -hmm. to show an ID. There were so many workarounds because of that stupid, the ping pong being played around that law, even in New York. So I imagine that my first thought would be like, if anything like that were to happen, they would be like, sorry, you can't shoot your drugs here, but we can give you a prescription for Zavoxin, methadone or anything that might make not make you sick right now and if you need a place like you know and we're not going to say we Mm -hmm. see anything going on you know so there are some workarounds especially with that kind of thing that could probably happen pretty quickly depending on the law especially if it goes back and forth i think the only thing that makes me nervous about these gray areas where it's kind of unclear sort of town to town or sort of across the state is the implementation and when police sort of bump into some people and is this sort of a punishable offense or not? And I think, you know, cause in some ways we're in this kind of weird gray area when it comes to marijuana. Like sometimes I see people just smoking on the street with like reckless abandon. I'm like, okay, like look at you just smoking your, your doobie on the street. And then other times I'll see like young black boys doing the same thing. And like, my heart is sort of like, Hey guys, you know, and I shouldn't have to feel this way as an American citizen, but I'm like, do you really want to end up in Rikers? Because all it takes is for a police officer to like, not feel like turning this blind eye the way we're sort of casually in that gray area told that we can and we're moving towards. Does that well, do we sense? know the specific mandate for the NYPD when it comes to drug use on the street as a misdemeanor? They're no longer supposed to pick them up. I mean, I've seen people... 20 feet away from police at 34th street, taking out needles and shooting up on the staircase. Right. But I just feel like once you're in police custody and they've justified putting you there and maybe it's because you mouthed off when they asked you a question or not. Right. And so I think that gray area of like what is fully legal and for whom is, is what always makes me nervous. You know, I see people with like brown bags. Sometimes I see them getting arrested for having alcohol in a brown bag. Sometimes I don't. So here we are. You know, same with like jumping turnstiles. It's like some people, nothing. Some people, a ticket. Some people, are an arrest. Like a, a, I saw a 13-year-old girl get physically arrested. And it was just the most traumatic and horrifying thing for everyone who was watching and filming it. Right? And I was like, right. And it was jumping a turnstile. And we've seen, you know, if you... Leave, I left the opera this weekend. Everybody was, leaving, you know, walking through the subway with the police right there. Not a problem. The young girl wearing a um, not wearing a mask who was holding her baby in the subway early on in the pandemic who got like wrestled to the floor. I I mean, the, and that's all. If if cynical me were to put on a guessing cap, my guessing cap would guess that maybe that had something to do with the geographical location of the sites. And that might be why the NYPD just violated for 18 months or so a law requiring them to show where they were arresting people specifically station by station for turnstile mm-hmm. jumping and the people passed the law and our city council had to sue them and fight them to get them to give up this information which spoiler alert showed exactly uh, what you would think it would on uh, these sets of terms in terms of where people were actually getting wasn't the Q train on the 2nd Avenue 86th Street stop? 
Well, it's definitely where not little, 66th Street. Where your little grandmother just sometimes just like walks through the door. Uh, that one? Alert. Nope. Ah, <laughs> uh, um, it's December now. It's cold. We're all getting to the end of the year. Everyone's ready to be done with this uh, virus and lots of other things. It may not be ready to be done with us. So, you know, be kind, be patient, be decent to other people. Keep listening to this here podcast and uh, hugs all around. Well, I mean, be careful who you hug because Omaronicron or whatever. <laughs> Omarion. Right. Orion. Omarosa? Um, oh. Harry. F-A-Q. FAQ NYC is a production of Racket Media and a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists and Artists. We're headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research and recorded this week from the boroughs of Brooklyn and Manhattan. We had no special guests this week, so thank you to us for being amazing. Our executive producers, Alex Brooklyn and Adam Kamara, mixed and edited this episode. Be well, wear a mask, happy holidays, get a flu shot, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>